What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 24 of Calling All Crap Beer. I am Luke. I am your host. And I'm a day late and a dollar short today. Just kidding. No dollar short, but definitely a day late. And um, I appreciate you guys sticking with me. But we got a pretty cool show today. Got some fun life stuff going on and a plethora of beers for this week. So should be a uh, fun ride. So hang in. Strap down. Let's roll. So... I got a kind of crazy um, week this week. Uh, I had just randomly picked up um, some brews at Target walking around with my wife that I was I had not seen before. It's Orange Blossom Brewing, excuse me, which is up in Central Florida. They uh, have an uh, Orange Blossom Pilsner, which is a pretty common beer, something you can get in Disney and um, Universal and places like that, and it's nothing fancy. I mean, it's really, it's literally like a 5.8, 5.5%, you know, Pilsner, nothing crazy. It's pretty, it, it's decent, little, little honey forward, like Pilsner, pretty good, just something basic. And I saw this one called OBP Squared, and it's basically an 11% Imperial Pilsner, and I was like, ah, oh, dude, we got to grab those. <clears throat> so they were, uh, four pack was $9.99 at Target. And I picked it up and brought it home and tried it out. And, I, dude, I really enjoyed it. I mean, this thing was a very honey forward, you know, has a booziness and a strongness to it that definitely tells you it's 11%. It's not one of those beers that hides its booziness very well. You can clearly tell that this is a strong, you know, strong alcohol content. But it is very delicious as that honey flavor is just, you know, kicking it for me. And um, I enjoyed it a lot. I would encourage you guys if you can get it for reasonable price to go check it out you know like i said it's a it's a high abv 11 percent imperial pilsner obp squared is basically what it's called and uh it was really enjoyable you know it reminded me of a little bit of like the um oh man what was the name of the one from tarpon river brewing that i had not to had a while back they had a honey um like strong ale and i forget what it was called but it uh Honey Love. It reminded me a lot of Honey Love, but with actually more more honey flavor. So it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and then I got two packages this week. I got my package from Taver like super early. It wasn't expected till actually Friday the 17th. It actually ended up showing up Wednesday the 15th, which is so far been unheard of with Taver. Usually I don't get my packages until the day they're planned or a couple days later. So, um, and what's actually cool about this is I got in touch with the people from Taver and found out how they're shipping, you know, a lot of these brews. And I'm actually going to start using some of the services that they use going forward because I can actually ship beer out labeled as alcohol through some of these um, carriers that they use that actually will allow you to ship alcohol. And it's actually cheaper. You know, I can ship a box of like 20 beers for probably like 20 bucks. And it's actually handled with care because they know that it's actually alcohol in the box. I can actually reuse the boxes that I get from Taver and send it out to my buddies, which is actually what I'm going to end up doing. Um, I did end up getting those two bombs for Andrew and uh, my other buddy on the podcast. Got them all packaged up and ready to go. I just got to get them out this week. The only issue that you have with uh, this other carrier service, Sonic, that we use to 
to be able to actually send these out as alcohol packages is that they don't go everywhere. So you have to make sure that it's actually something that's available in their area, which thankfully both of these guys, the shipping service is available in their area. And it does take a little bit longer because you can't simply go to the post office or go to the FedEx store and ship them out. You have to actually call in for a pickup and they give you an estimated you know, pickup time on a specific day that they can come by and pick it up. And then they come by and pick up the package and they and it takes off. It takes a little bit longer. You know, they um, average seven to ten. They said seven to ten business days is what it typically averages to go like cross country or um five to seven business days for what they consider to be like a regional delivery, which would be like a couple states away or like from here to New York, like Florida to New York, stuff like that. So, but I am going to go ahead and try this service out for these two packages just because of what happened to me in the past with USPS. And I'm just nervous about sending out anything and knowing that I now have these options and I've used it with Tavern and had great success. I mean, I haven't had anything show up broken and they don't package these beers in any, you know, they, they the cans are stacked on top of each other. They are put just basically in like a little um, cardboard divider, you know, and I went, took it, took it the next step and actually still, you know, plastic bagged each one, wrapped them in, in bubble wrap and put them, but I used the same boxes that I got from Tavern to send these out to these guys. So I'll get these out this week and they'll have them hopefully with, you know, by middle to end of next week, which will be fantastic. But I'm assured that they'll arrive, you know, perfectly and you can, and the great part is that you can actually insure them. So I can send out beer and insure it 500 bucks, 200 bucks, you know, whatever, pay a little bit extra for insurance. So that way, if it does get damaged, I actually get my money back versus sending it out with another carrier where we're lying about what we're shipping so that if something does happen, we're screwed. So I'm pretty excited about that. So let's move on to some good beers. Um, Like I said, this week I got, we got a bomb in the mail from my buddy Drew out in California. He actually sent out some hen house brews for my wife which was fantastic. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate that, brother. She uh, may sample or taste one or two of them, but for the most part, they're probably going to end up with me. And he actually made a comment on the Mother's Day posting and was like, they're like low ABV chick brews. So, you know, but hey, enjoy them. And they're good. I mean, so far I've enjoyed it. It's like a, you know, basic IPAs. I had their their standard IPA. I tried the liquid... um, uh, liquid entertainment i'm gonna get into those on the next show i'm not gonna dig into reviews on those right now but i tried a few of them and so far they've been really good but i'm gonna dig into the tavern brews this weekend and i'm actually drinking right now during the show mm, this uh hubbard's cave chocolate and strawberry pot de creme which is a imperial stout it's 12 percent abv and wow um This thing is just a tremendous. It is, um, the only thing I don't like about it is it does have a little bit of a metallic finish. Um, but the initial flavoring is very much chocolate and fruit. I'm not getting, now, I don't, it's, it's not, I can't distinguish the strawberry flavor yet. It's very fruity chocolatey it is sweet um not but not overly sweet but it does have an almost iron like you know finish now i don't know if that's can issue or if that's a fruit issue if they actually use real strawberry with this it's possible that you're getting that um mineral finish from the strawberries that kind of gives it that little bit of metallic twang at the end of it but it's not enough to 
discredit the brew. The brew is actually really, really good. It does have some floaters, you know, floating around in the top of the brew. They look like little chocolate flakes or something like that to me, but it's nothing that is uh, keeping me from wanting to to drink the brew. It might even be some malt, a little bit of barley. Um, but it is absolutely delicious. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm sure it's only going to continue to get better the warmer it gets right now. It is still chilled. Um, so I'm waiting for it to warm up to room temperature here. So then let's kind of carry on to some of the tavern brews that I jumped into this week. So <clears throat> I always like to jump into the fresh brews first. So I get into like the the um, Hubbard's Cave Fresh Series, the the um, El Segundo No, uh, no Comply, the... Um, what else do I got over here? We got a... Modern Times Telesto. So there's quite a few that I got that were like on the Fresh Series. I got a version 29 and version 28 on the Fresh Series from Hubbard's Cave. Two of each. I got two Telestos and then I got two No Complies. So and then I also picked up an Expel, which is a uh, coffee oat stout from Anchorage Brewery. And then this uh, chocolate and strawberry pot de creme from Hubbard's Cave. And I also got up 120 days um, Imperial Stout from Evil Twin which I have yet to crack that bad boy yet. That'll be probably, you know, one of the strongest beers that I've had in a long time, 17.5% ABV. That'll probably be on the next next week's show. So <clears throat> let's get into talking about some of these IPAs. So I cracked open version 28 from the Fresh Series from Hubbard's Cave first, and it was weird, to say the least. Um, has a very odd hop profile. And what I mean by that is that it's just not a common, um, just not common hops. And to be quite honest, I'm going to have to look this up real quick while I got you guys on the phone because I forget what the physical hop profile was. So I'm going to check it out real quick. So bear with me here while I pull it up. But I know that it has, it's just not a standard hop profile. I mean, it was definitely something that was extremely weird and, um, I'm going to pull it up real fast. So we got Hubbard's Cave version 28. <clears throat> the hop profile is kind of an exotic exotic blend of Ariana, Jerryello, and Pico, and Pico hops. So it's sweet, hazy relief after a long day at the office or being around rowdy children. It says up front, Jerillo imparts a mellow banana-like sweetness while Ariana follows with soft vanilla and bursts of juicy peaches. Then come Pico hops, adding notes of lemongrass and orange peel bitterness with a pillowy mouthfeel and an 8.5% ABV. It's a juice bomb and a banana split. Did not get that in any way, shape, or form. And it was not a bad brew, but it was incredibly odd in terms of I just had no clue, you know, what I was tasting. I got, um, <clears throat> I got a little bubblegum flavor. I got some... Um, what else? I got, it was bitter, it, but in a good way, you know, a good, nice hot bitterness. It's definitely a hazy, um, but I didn't taste a lot of, I, I think the finish was like a lemongrass or a citrus. So I finally got a little bit of that on the back end, but it definitely was not, I didn't get any of the peaches or banana or any of that stuff that they, you know, claim in the flavor, flavor profile on Taver. So Now, I will say that, obviously, we're all accustomed to and understand that everybody's 
you know, taste buds are a little bit different. Our flavors, you're going to hit each and every person a little bit different. Some people love brews. Other people hate them. I liked it because it was different. I rated it a 3.75 out of 5 on untapped. So this is probably, this isn't, unfortunately, it is the lowest, I believe, that I've ranked one of the fresh series from Hubbard's Cave so far. But I didn't rank it low because I didn't like it. I ranked it low because I couldn't distinguish those flavors that were supposed to be there. It was an overall good brew, but it was an overall good brew. It wasn't an overall great brew. <clears throat> so I did enjoy it. And uh, I probably, I definitely would do it again because I would probably try it a couple different ways. You know, I would probably try it a little bit colder, maybe try it a little bit warmer to see if, you know, depending upon the situation, how I would distinguish different flavors, flavor profiles from it. But it was an overall good brew. So then we move on to the next one, which is Telesto, which is a New England IPA from Modern Times. It was just okay for me. Um, it wasn't anything fancy. I got a lot of stone fruit from it. Um, and it, it, it you know, a little bit of bitterness. It's a Simcoe and Amarillo hops and a bit of rye. <clears throat> um, so it was citrusy. It had a fruitiness to it. Aroma was decent. You know, it's a 7% ABV. Um, I didn't get a lot of dryness to it. It wasn't overly, excuse me, it wasn't overly sweet. Um, it was just okay. I rated it a 3.75 out of 5, you know, similar to the version 28 um, fresh series from Hubbard's Cave. But this one I rated a 3.75 because it was worth a 3.75, not because I couldn't distinguish flavors that I was expecting. It was just an overall decent beer. It wasn't one of those that were fantastic. It wasn't something that I'm going to write home about. I probably would not purchase it again because I think it's a little too expensive for what it actually delivers. Um, but it was an overall good beer. Then we got version 29 from the Fresh Series Hubbard's Cave. This one is um, another kind of crazy flow hop profile. We got Falconer's Flight and Michigan Copper Hops. So two hops that I've probably never even heard of and or potentially had without, at least not ha had without knowing. Um, this one ha did have an air of dryness to it, almost like a, almost like a hazy tropical, um, almost like a hazy tropical brute IPA that did have like a strong dryness to it on the finish. It was fruity, super crushable, probably one of my favorite of the series. I rated a 4.25 out of five on untapped. You know, you talk about this bad boy, you know, all the fresh series are 8.5% ABV, double IPAs, super enjoyable. I still have one left and I plan to enjoy that bad boy. Um, when the time comes, obviously before June 9th, because that's the drink by date on the bottle. Fresh series, you definitely want to drink them fresh. It is uh, a mandatory piece on that bad boy. So then we move on to El Segundo. So El Segundo was first introduced to me by my buddy um, Drew um, out in California. And um, Drew Butler, he actually sent me out. Um, IPL, IPA Del Rey, I believe. Was that the first El Segundo one? Or no, I think the first El Segundo one he sent me was a, a, was a, a stout. I forget. I think the, the IPA Del Rey is the um, LA Ale Works. So forgive me. But <clears throat> um, this one's no comply. It's a West Coast style IPA. You know, it's killer. It It is everything a West Coast style IPA should be. 
it is see-through i mean just a nice clear amber color it has it's bitter it has a piney finish but the cool thing that's kind of sets this one apart is that it's tropical so it has a the initial hit on your tongue is bitterness then it kind of like subsides and mellows out to like a tropical flavor and then it finishes with a piney note so it's kind of a little bit of a of a twist to a west coast style ipa but i enjoyed it you know i rated a 4.0 on untapped it's it's a low abv beer i think it's a 6.8 percent but it's good definitely would buy it again it's one of those that uh that i just uh i just enjoyed the piss out of it and i love the can artwork man i mean they have a like pissed off hop on a skateboard you know um kicking a hazy ipa to the side like listen bitch like you know we're the originals this is we started this whole culture of craft beer so it's time for you to to step aside and let the true IPAs back in. And I thought that was pretty fantastic. It's just a killer, killer can art. So then we get into the first um, stout of the group. This one is a coffee stout, 9% ABV from Anchorage Brewing Company called Expel, E-X-P-E-L. Dude, this is literally just Cuban coffee in a stout. I mean, it was super coffee forward, super, super strong really wasn't sweet at all it had a just coffee bean bitterness to it just black dark roasty um i I honestly enjoyed it you know i rated a 4.25 on untapped it was amazing absolutely good it's definitely an acquired taste and it'll be one of those that you would have to have at a certain time i would definitely call like a finisher beer last beer on the night you know something like that it was uh super enjoyable I, I definitely would pick it up again. It probably was one of my favorite coffee stouts um, overall that I've had in a long time. And I mean, even even more so than like the Liftbridge Irish coffee stout that I had not too long ago, you know, things like that. It was just, you know, really, really good, really enjoyable. And um, I definitely look forward to the possibility of having another one in the future because it looks like that is something that they do come out with once in a while. So then we get into... This uh, Hubbard's Cave chocolate and strawberry pot de creme. So as this thing is coming kind of the temperature, I do notice some more floaters in there. They're not bothering me though. Mm. Wow. So as this thing has warmed up, the metallic flavor has gone away. And I definitely taste more strawberry, more of a milk chocolate-esque flavor. Um, and it's just sweet. You know, it, it literally, the color is even crazy because you look at the color and the color is you, obviously it's dark, it's a stout. But when you look at like the neck of the glass and the rim, you see a reddish tint to the chocolate-esque color of the stout. The stout is a very, is brown. It's not a, it's not dark, dark, dark black. It's brown. And when you look at it through if you pull just the hair of the the liquid to the rim to where you can actually see through that light edge, you see a pinkness to the liquid, which lets me, you know, has me wondering, like, are these little floaty pieces I'm seeing actually pieces of strawberry? Like, what is that? But they're not chunky, so I don't actually feel them going down when I drink. They're there, but I do see... I'm wondering, I'm almost wondering if they're like like pieces of seeds that were ground up from the strawberries, but it just, 
if I if I stopped right now, this would probably be around a 4.5 on Untapped. This is a 12.0% ABV, um, and so far the flavor is just not in any way, shape, or form. Um, letting me down. It is really, really good. It doesn't have a lot of, of nose. You know, you get a little bit of... The nose is a little bit... <clears throat> I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint. Let me see. The nose is a little... Just pretty much chocolate. I don't really smell anything else. I might get a, You might get a little hint of fruitiness in the nose. But for the most part, the nose is chocolate. Mm. And it's just really, really good. I'm enjoying this a lot. So let's get into the lifestyle portion of the show. Now that we've kind of got the beers pushed to the side, caught up on all the fun stuff. So yesterday, yesterday was my daughter's prom, her senior prom. So let's talk about the, uh, the ups and downs, I guess, as a father with that, like, I trust my daughter. She's a great kid, you know, A student, going to Florida International University in August, and um, she's a good kid. You know, we had some bumps in the road when she was a little bit younger, but she also went through some crazy stuff, so, I, you know, we kind of moved past all that. But, I mean, seeing your kid at 18 years old, you know, and just dressed to the gills, you know, dressed to the nines, to dressed to impress. It was a, you know, it's just one of those like dad moments where you're like super, super proud, but also freaked out, <laughs> you know, because it's like, all right, this is like the end of the era of her being like my baby. You know, she's still my baby. She'll always be my baby. But, you know, this is like the first night when it's okay for them to go out, be out all hours. I mean, she still hasn't come home. And we're talking about, you know, it is 6.33 the day after prom. I know where she's been. You know, she went to the prom. They went to IHOP after. They had a really good friend of ours, actually my tattoo artist, who has a house right down the street from us who allowed the kids to come over and kind of have have a uh, quotations after party at his place to keep them safe. You know, we didn't want them going out and being going to like these hotel parties or doing any of this other crazy stuff. We wanted to try to keep them in the area, keep them safe, keep them together and make sure that they, because they're all pretty much uh, respectful and um, just, they got good heads on good. They've all got good heads on their shoulders, her and the friends that she was with. So um, it was about four couples, I guess, that went to her, to her friend, her friend's house and, and stayed over there. And, you know, their father made her father made sure that they had food and some snacks and drinks and stuff like that. And, you know, non-alcoholic drinks. That was a conversation that we had. So and then they all kind of just slept in today and then went over to the beach and they're all hanging out at the beach for the day together. Just has like a sub um, post party to prom, so to speak. And, you know, she's uh, we've spoken and she's planning to be home around 10 p.m. tonight. So kind of like a two two days out running around doing her thing and it's the first time I heard kind of like just letting her go and you know being an adult so to speak and she's 18 you know she turned 18 back on February 13th so it's crazy you know to think about like that whole 
situation and to know that as of August 24th, she'll be in college away on her own 100%. And uh, as much as I'm looking forward to it, I'm also like freaking out about it at the same time in the background. So it's crazy to, you know, to have a 12 year old and a nine year old who are still in, you know, um, fourth grade and sixth grade. And then to have Maya, who's, you know, now, you know, has, who's done school. I mean, the 18th was her last day at school. So she's finished school. Now we just have to go through graduation, which is June 2nd, and then move her on to, uh, to FIU in August. So yeah, it's, uh, I feel old, (laughs) you know, which is not, you know, it's not a bad thing. I feel old in a good way. I mean, I'm glad that we've, uh, raised a very, you know, strong, independent girl who, um, independent woman who has a good head on her shoulders and knows what she wants to do. I mean, she's going to school to be a nurse and, um, you know, she worked her ass off because she's not the, she's not one of those kids that just has it. Like, and what I mean by that is, is that she has a friend, her best friend who actually went to prom with her and is still with her today. Noel is one of those people that could not go to school and still would pass with flying colors. She just has, she's just a, you know, literal genius in terms of book smarts and all that stuff. Maya is not like that. Maya is very street smart. Maya is very book smart because she makes herself book smart. She studies, she treats school like it's a priority, like, she, like most kids don't. And because of that, she's passed with A's and B's, but she's had to work for it. She's had to bust her butt. She's had to, you know, study and go above and beyond when a lot of other kids kind of just do it and it's just come second nature to them. So seeing how hard she's worked to, you know, be on, you know, in AP classes and to be on honor roll and to do the things that she's done. I mean, you know, this is a kid that's graduating with honors. You know, she has like five chords, six chords that she's graduating with. And I'm, I'm so proud of her because she did that. You know, she worked her ass off. She accomplished what she wanted to accomplish. And she did it because she wanted to, not because I told her to, not because her mom told her to, not because anybody else told her to, she did it because that's what she wanted. And that, is huge for me because that's just goes to show, you know, the will and the drive and the determination that she has. And it just makes me know that she's going to be a hugely successful person in the future. And, uh, and I'm excited for her to see where she goes. And, you know, I, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, when you, um, when you just, you're just proud of your kids and you know that they have like phenomenal futures ahead of them. And obviously, you know, we've all, we probably most parents are probably pretty uh what's the word I'm looking for here most parents are probably pretty biased when it comes to their kids like oh my kid is just the shit well you know I'm not biased but I believe that she's worked so hard for what she's accomplished that she deserves it and that it's just going to show it's just going to come out come to fruition for her even more on the other side so it's pretty cool so today was kind of a neat um, a neat deal. So I don't know if I mentioned this to you guys before, but I'm actually volunteering at youth camp at church for the first time ever. You know, I, I did some security there two years ago when they had the camp on campus at our church. And, uh, wow. But this time I'm actually going and leading a team and actually being part of the camp in general period. Um, And today was pretty cool, you know, having an opportunity to kind of just chill out, meet with some of the parents, 
talk to them about the camp situation and how things were going to go with their kids. You know, obviously I'm a parent. I am uh, a dad and a, and a husband before anything else. And I love my girls to death. So I know exactly how some, some parents feel in their circumstances and situations and, you know, how they would be worried about their kids being in certain people's hands and what they're going to do. And are my kids going to feel okay? Are they going to be comfortable? So it was kind of a cool opportunity to be able to have conversations with parents and let them know that your kids are our top priority. We're going to make sure they're taken care of. We're going to make sure that they're good. And most importantly, we're going to make sure they have a kick-ass time. So I'm uh, super excited to kind of see how this goes and to, to just have a lot of fun and to be able to enjoy the kids and do what I need to do. So it's pretty cool. That's uh, something that I kind of have coming up in June. So I'm going to dive in a little bit to a professional scenario that I'm a little bit frustrated with. So I want you guys to understand something. You know, I've I've mentioned several times in the past that I work in kind of the marketing, you know, arena, digital marketing, things like that, affiliates, um, influencers. So I have, you know, I'm the marketing director for one company. And then I do have some other clients that I work with because, you know, unfortunately what I make at my one full-time job is just not enough to take care of all the expenses that we have. So I have my own company, Forged by Fire Digital, and I use that as um, a means to just bring in some extra income. You know, I I do social media channels for some companies some things like that. Well, um, I have a company that I actually started about a... um, now like 19 days ago and I structured an affiliate program for them and they started it on May 1st and on Thursday no on Friday Friday actually got a call from them now mind you we're 17 days into this program okay 17 days into a program that before we launched the program on May 1st was non-existent They didn't have their presence in the United States alone was minimal. They were doing maybe eight, maybe 10 sales a week in the U.S., which is nothing. When you look at an online, you know, warehouse or online platform for any type of merchandise, eight to 10 sales a week is nothing unless you're selling Lamborghinis or a million dollar waterfront properties. But when you're selling stuff like, you know, um, vitamins, minerals and things like that, you know, supplements, food watches, clothing, whatever, that's not substantial. Eight to 10 sales a week is nothing. You know, unless you're selling, you know, $25,000 watches or $200,000 watches or $5,000 blouses, it's, which is not the case in this scenario. Eight to 10 sales a week is nothing. So, but the sad part was, is that I was led to believe that there was a larger market when I started than there really was. So I put my full effort in, you know, have done everything that I possibly can do to make this work. And on the 17th, which was Friday, I get a call from one of the owners and, um, I basically got fired. Um, they basically put me, you know, in, in, and I don't, and that's not even a fair way to put it. I didn't get fired, but I was basically the best, the better way to put it would be was demoted. Um, cause what they had and, and, and demoted is, is still a relative term because I didn't actually work for them. I was a consultant, but, Um, I was making, I was basically receiving a monthly payment from them for running this program and communicating with them and doing what I needed to do to make the program better. But 17 days in, 
the program growth was slow. I'm not going to lie. You know, there it definitely wasn't as as quick as we had hoped it was going to be. And I understood that. But I also was learning things as I was going. And with very little support from the company, I was still making headway. I was still managing to make see positive strides, bring on new people, make sales. It was just going incredibly slower than we originally had um, expected. So without even giving it 30 days, without even giving it a month. And now, mind you, when I had the initial conversation with this company, I expressed to them that it was going to be 60 to 90 days before they were going to really start to see a return from this brand, from this um, affiliate program because of the fact that they had a very limited marketplace right now in the U.S. So 17 days in, they want to pull the rug out from under me. They literally gave me they literally I had to like renegotiate with them to allow them to let me finish the month out to give me the opportunity to show them that we can potentially be in a better place by the end of the month. And they said, look, like we want to continue forward because we don't want to cancel the program. We have nobody else to do it. So we do want your help. But going forward, starting June 1st, we want you to work on a commission basis only. And as much as I bit my tongue and and looked in the mirror and said, that's not going to work for me because that's not how you run a business. You don't go from, you know, a a charge to run something like this for somebody that takes a lot of man hours, a lot of time, a lot of energy to and say, okay, well, it's not working out. Now, it's one thing if they had come to me and said, listen, we're just going to nix the program. We're going to walk away from it. That's fine. Then I understand. And you make a, you know, do I feel like you're making a horrible decision? Absolutely. Because you're not even giving it the amount of time that it needs for it to start to show some type of a return. When you look at the reality behind online marketing, in the online marketplace, statistics show that it takes an average of 11 touches for a person before somebody actually buys from you. So if they don't know who you are, they've never heard of you before, and they see you online, they have to see your name 11 times before they'll finally consciously make a decision to try to purchase something from you. So when you have no online um, brand recognition whatsoever, you have to create that recognition to give somebody the, the opportunity to be able to, to see you 11 times to make that purchase. So <clears throat> that's not being done, first of all, obviously. And then on top of that, when you let's take it a step further and talk about print advertising and print advertising, the average print advertisement in terms of a relative effect on a business's bottom line takes 12 weeks before you start to see a, a change and it's probably even worse now because now print advertising is so much smaller of a marketplace than online and digital is. But this was the last time that I've actually seen any type of a study done on this, which was a few years back, was 12 weeks before you start to see any type of return. And what I mean by any type of returns, I'm talking about even one sale based on that specific piece of marketing. We're talking 12 weeks time. So online is definitely a lot faster, 11 touches, but it requires you to put in the effort. It requires you to, you know, run a digital market, a digital marketing campaign via Facebook, via Instagram, via, you know, Twitter, whatever the case may be. And when you're not doing that and you're relying on a singular person to literally email or reach out via DM, liking, subscribe, you know, um, following, commenting, whatever the case may be, one person, you're limiting your reach substantially. So, Having said that, <clears throat> this was a kick in the nuts for me because this has been kind of that extra piece to get me over the hump to provide that extra amount of money that I need for my family and provide, you know, the 
the to kind of fill in the gaps to make sure that my bills are paid, to make sure that my family's taken care of and that we have that little bit extra. So without that going forward, it's going to be extremely difficult for us. And it's been hard for me to kind of swallow that because I, you know, I, I mean, you guys know I came off of like six months of not having a job and kind of got back into it and things were going good. And I was really looking forward to being able to catch up and get back in a positive situation. And uh, it's frustrating, you know, when you're not even given the reasonable opportunity in terms of time to make something work. 17 days is nothing. 17 days is, you know, farting in the wind as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, even 30 days is nothing. I mean, I told this company from day one, it was going to be 60 to 90 days before we were going to start to really see a return. And I know that because I've been in this similar scenario, same exact scenario, multiple times, you know, previous company that I worked for, when I started working for them, they actually launched their affiliate program. Excuse me. So, so good. One thing I have noticed is as it's gotten warmer, it's definitely getting boozier. But I'm also noticing a little bit more strawberry flavor, more chocolate. So very good beer. So let's go back to what I was talking about. Well, previous company that I worked for, when I came on board, their program was about six months old. They launched a program in November and I came on in May. And when I came on in May, they had about 900 affiliates and those affiliates were generating about $23,000 a month in revenue. So it was minimal. I mean, when you consider almost a thousand affiliates and you're only generating $23,000 a month, you know, that's a... There, there's a disconnect there. So my, the first 31 days that I was part of the company, my focus was to generate sales. My focus was to get the people that were already part of the company to generate more revenue. I focused very little on actually growing the program in terms of people and focused more on generating revenue. How I did that, building relationships, answering questions, providing feedback, coaching, mentoring, all that fun stuff. So my first 31 days was focus on essentially sales training, talking to the people, enjoying their time, getting them to feel comfortable with the program, explaining products to them, whatever I could possibly do to make somebody more comfortable with sharing products and generating sales. My first month, 31 days with the company, I increased their affiliate count from 900 to 1,000. So I brought in about an extra 100, 100 affiliates and I increased sales to $55,000. So from 23,000 to 55,000. So we went up $32,000 in a single month. And every single month after that, excuse me, every single month after that, the program continued to grow exponentially. 16 months later, the program was generating $550,000 a month in revenue. So five and a half, you know, um, 550,000. So half, a little over half a million dollars in revenue. So we're talking about a 1,467% increase in revenue, but my job and what I spent my focus on was making sure that the team felt appreciated sales training, product knowledge, and making sure that they understood what they needed to, that, that they had the right information to give the customers and that they knew how to stack products to upsell. My focus with them was on generating sales. And also increasing um, team members to the team because when you look at it, you know, first month fifty five thousand dollars, a thousand affiliates, five hundred fifty thousand dollars, and seventy five hundred affiliates. 
So there were still a lot of people in there. When you look at the grand scheme of things, there were still a lot of people who weren't producing. Of those 7,500 affiliates, there was probably 3,500 to 4,000 that were actually making sales. And then a lot that were just proud to be part of a team, proud to say that they were part of something, proud to, you know, to represent a company that they felt like they had a positive influence and that they just kind of had a status because they were now part of this company. So realistically, it not everybody was at that point, you know, you're, you're, you have, you look at an affiliate program and you have two different types of affiliates. You have affiliate A, who is not very vocal on social media, meaning they don't post a lot. They don't put a lot of graphics out there. They don't make their social media accounts look like a yellow pages, but they are the ones that are texting their clients, talking to people in face to face, talking to their buddies in the gym, talking to their family members. Like if they're in a group of people and somebody brings up the word supplements, they're talking about the brand and they're pushing their code and they're pushing their link. And those are the people that are making sales, but not necessarily generating a lot of brand awareness in terms of social media. But then you have the social media whores that are posting like crazy, tons and tons of graphics, all the videos. I mean, they're posting like some of them five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day, but they're not really generating a whole lot of revenue because what they're doing is building brand awareness. And both of those are just as valuable because they're, they just serve a different purpose. One brings more attention to your brand and the other one actually makes sales and and in turn brings you revenue. So there's a there's a time and a place for each one, and they're both as equally important in my opinion. But with this particular company, they didn't the the new company that I'm talking about referencing, they didn't understand that. You know, they one of the guys, one of the calls that I had with one of the owners was, Well, why are these guys not posting? Well, you have to understand, okay? You specifically asked me to reach out to some people that I knew that were no longer with any brands that were on their own, but that were coaches and that they were going to bring in revenue, which is what I did. I reached out to some personal trainers that I knew, some coaches that were going to bring in revenue. How do these people bring in revenue? They talk to their clients. Them talking to their clients does not require them to post graphics or images about your company. It requires a text message. It requires a phone call. It requires speaking to a client one-on-one in person. So they're not going to post a bunch about your brand but they're going to bring you revenue. Well, that apparently wasn't what they wanted because they're trying to build more brand awareness. Well, brand awareness, we can work on brand awareness. We can, we can shift our focus to bringing in more people that are going to provide more brand awareness. But when we provide more brand awareness, we're limiting our, our income, our dollars. So you got to find a happy medium. You have to have both. You have to have people that are worried about increasing brand awareness. Then you have to have people that are worried about actually generating revenue. So this is not something that they were willing to hear. So we've kind of come to a mutual agreement to finish out the month of May and then starting June 1st, you know, depending upon what their comeback is in terms of what, uh, what kind of an offer they'll make me going forward. We'll determine whether we continue to move forward or not, but it's frustrating because like I said, I mean, You know, there are certain scenarios that require a specific amount of time. They require time in order for you to build a brand, for you to build brand awareness, for you to get a company's name out there in front of people in order for them to actually recognize you and want to purchase from you. If you're not willing to put in that time, then what's the point? And it's frustrating to me as somebody who works in this space and marketing and advertising and, you know, development that you have to give it the appropriate amount of time. 
you can't expect for something to flourish overnight. You can't expect, especially with now, I'll, I'll kind of go back and push back on them a little bit and be like, even their company Instagram account. Like I started two new Instagram accounts that were devoted solely to the affiliate program for them. And their company account hadn't posted anything for several months. And it's like, if you, you know, if you're not going to give the support that's necessary in order for your affiliate team to be to have graphics to repost and to have, you know, a company to feed off of, then you're doing us a disservice because you're not helping us to grow your brand. So we'll, we'll see how things go going forward. And I don't want to get, you know, too in depth about telling you guys about all this crazy stuff that I do for work because I know it can be boring, but it's just like beer, man. You know, you talk about beer from a perspective that why are, why is craft beer more popular than, you know, well, let's put it this way. Why will people go and wait in line for six hours for a craft beer release at their local craft brewery, but you're never going to hear about somebody going to Sam Adams or Yinling or InBev, which is Budweiser and a bunch of other companies, and standing out in front of a brewery like that for a release? Because there's no, there's nothing that separates, there's nothing that makes that special. But there is something that makes the local brewery special because it's limited so even though they may let's say they they're only releasing 2,000 cans of a specific beer people from all over the united states are going to travel there wait in line to get that brew because you cannot get it elsewhere nobody cares when it comes to sam adams or budweiser or one of those other brands because even if i were to tell you this beer is limited they know better because two weeks from now it's going to be in their local um, liquor store, and they're going to be able to walk in and buy it. Because even when you tell me it's limited, limited to you is a hundred thousand units. Limited to your local craft brewery is two thousand, a thousand, five hundred. So it's just about creating, you know, that creating a need or a want for a specific product, or a service, or a beer, or a food, or a supplement, or whatever the case may be. And if you're not able to generate something that gives your product or what you're trying to sell a cool factor, which is one of the great things that these local craft breweries like Hubbard's Cave and, you know, Monkish and places like that have done where 450 North is one of the ones that's huge right now. I mean, every time 450 North has a a launch, a a release, they have people waiting in, in line overnight hours. You know, they got can and bottle shares going on in line while people are waiting. These people are, you know, drunk, waiting for this place to open up, finding people from all over the country, waiting there to pick up, you know, specific brewers because they know for a fact we can only do so much. There's only, okay, we have this 450X nuggets. There's only 500 cans of this. So you better come get in line at, you know, 2 a.m. the night before the release or you're not going to get any. When you create a niche market like that and when you provide something for people that they can't get elsewhere, they're going to want it. They're going to strive for it. That's the same thing with the stupid iPhones. You look at when an iPhone releases, how many people were out there waiting in line at Best Buy overnight with the tents and all kinds of stuff to pick up the new iPhone because they try to tell people that they're limited. But the funny part is, is that two weeks later, they're everywhere. Two weeks later, you can buy it. You can get an iPhone at your local. You can get the new iPhone at your local Walmart or Target or wherever the case may be. So if you look at by them doing that, they have limited the number of people who are waiting in line for new stuff. If you go to a Best Buy when they're going to have a new iPhone release now, there might be four or five people waiting in line. But there's no line around the building like there used to be back in the day. 
because now people know that if I just wait a week, it's going to be available everywhere. Well, that's not the same thing doesn't go for beer. The same thing doesn't go for specific supplement brands that might have crazy flavors that you can only get at certain times of year or things like that. So, you know, it just it's just about creating an awareness for your brand that shows people that you provide something they can't get elsewhere and it has a cool factor that makes people want to be a part of it. So it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, if 450 North just opened tomorrow and nobody had ever heard of them and they posted on Instagram, oh, we're going to have a can release tomorrow. We're only releasing 500 cans of this beer and that beer. Come check us out. The reality is nobody would be there waiting for it because nobody knew and nobody would care because nobody knew who they are. You have to create brand awareness. You have to create a positive product. You have to provide people with what they want and what they need in order for them to the next time you then release that product again or something similar or something better. Now people are intrigued and they want to be a part of it. So the end of the day, you know, that's what marketing is all about. There's a lot more to it than just that, but you kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. So forgive me on schooling you guys with marketing 101 and all kinds of crazy stuff, but it was frustrating to me because it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I've had clients in the past that have done the same thing where, you know, a couple of weeks in, they're like, oh, we're not seeing the return. We thought we were going to. Well, when we talked to you about it day one, we said 12 weeks. Yeah, but it's two weeks in and we just can't afford to pay you what we said we were going to pay you anymore because we're not seeing a return. Well, if you're not willing to give, if you don't have the cash or you're not willing to give every circumstance the appropriate amount of time that it needs in order for it to start to generate you revenue, then guess what? You're never going to get anywhere. It's just the fact of the matter. It is what it is. And that's just the way business works. So it's like when somebody starts a brand new business, not everybody expects to be able to press the go button on day one and to walk away with a profit. Most companies lose money for the first three years. That's the reality of business in general. Not everybody does because some companies are better at marketing. Some companies are better at hyping up their products. Some companies are better at, you know, providing a reason for it to be cool or useful or whatever the case may be to their customers prior to actually launching. And the ones that are really good at doing that when they do launch, typically into launch, typically um, seem to launch in the black versus launching in the red. And there's just something about that to be that remains to be seen, but not everybody has the ability or the capability to do that or the know-how even when they think they do. So if you have an interest in opening a new business, please put the time and effort into making sure that you're doing the appropriate things necessary to build brand awareness, to let people know why you're better than everybody else that's out there that's in the same market that you are, even before your product even drops. Work on hyping it up. Work on creating a demand before the product even touches down on the pavement. And you will be successful because that's the nature of marketing. You're creating a demand for something that doesn't even exist yet. And once it exists and people actually see it and want, and they want nothing more than to be part of it, you will be successful. This is Luke calling all crap beer episode 24 later.